This is Hal Hester, lead pastor of Vine Life, and this is our podcast, The Empowered Word. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective on what God is doing in your life. Please enjoy the message. All right, checked everything good. All right, good morning, Vine Lifers. How are you guys doing? Good, good, good. You guys survived the rain. Good storm last night. We're back into, sounds like, feels like the summer is coming, right? Whew, ready for the heat? <laughs> I'm enjoying the cool. All right, so my name is Bobby. Uh, if, if you don't know who I am and we haven't met, I am uh, the associate pastor here at Vine Life. Really good to see you guys all this morning. Uh, just excited what God has planned this morning, and, and we're going to hit the ground running uh, with what we're going to discuss today. Um, so if you haven't been here in a while or, or this is your first time, uh, just let me make sure I catch, up, catch you up really quick. Um, that we are in a sermon series called Jesus Is It, where we have been on a journey through the ministry of Jesus Christ, um, according to Matthew, who was one of his disciples and one of his friends. And so this morning, we're going to be in Matthew 4. And so if you're an overachiever and you just want to have everything ready, have your text ready, your highlighter and your pen out, that's great, good. Uh, we're going to get there in just a second. Uh, so, but if you want to have everything ready, you are welcome to do that. You do you, okay? Um, before we get there, I wanted to ask you guys a question, kind of setting things up. Does anybody here have a nickname, not a shortened version of your name, but anybody have a nickname that really has nothing to do with your original name? Does anybody... Some of you guys know somebody, or maybe you have that. Maybe that's something that was passed on to you, that was given to you, okay? Um, uh, nicknames are something we love to give to people. We like to, you know, if somebody does something silly or, just, you know, they do a certain job or maybe it's a personality trait or something like that, maybe something that has to do with their appearance, we'll give somebody a nickname and assign them this name, and it kind of replaces their true name. So maybe you guys know somebody like that, Right? And so, in a way, um, when we, we give somebody a nickname, their identity is tied to something about their physical appearance, maybe something they did, maybe it was a mistake, maybe it was like just a blunder, maybe it was like this moment of just like, oops, I messed up, right? And so, if it sticks, that person has to wear that identity for the rest of their life, or as long as they're in, around that friend group, right? And so, uh, a nickname... Uh, it, it, it's all fun, you know, like we laugh about it sometimes. Sometimes you'll nickname somebody something that, you know, they did something silly and you're like, oh, we're going to call you this from now on, you know. Um, it, it hurts, though, if that nickname is attached to a mistake that they have made in their life. It's not just being clumsy, but it's something that maybe they did on accident. And they have to live with that for the rest of their life. Our, and it kind of replaces their identity, right? Their real name is this, but we call them this because they did this okay and so we talk about identity identity is so so important our identity who we know who we are not just our identity but knowing your identity knowing who you are is so important it is one of the most important things that you will ever discover in your life is who you are who you were created to be, the purpose behind what you do. It's going to define who you are and who you are now. It's going to define that for the rest of your life. Your future is all defined by who you know yourself to be. Okay? So the last time I was up here with you guys, I mentioned that I love talking about worship with you guys. I absolutely adore talking about worship because it's something that we all participate in. Is we're all worshipers, right? And so uh, that's one of my favorite things to, to talk to you guys about. My second favorite thing is actually identity. 
It's my favorite, it's one of my favorite things, and I'll re- the reason why is because all of us are affected by how we view ourselves, okay? Um, as a follower of Christ, our identity is so affected by who or what we worship, okay? Those things are so connected. Worship and identity are two things that go hand in hand. I talk to our students a lot. I talk to our kids. I have, you know, discussions with them. Um, I, I am convinced that identity is the single most important factor in developing our relationship with Christ. If we can't figure that out, we're kind of going to miss the boat. Because if I can figure out who I am and why I was created, then that points to my creator and my need to pursue a relationship with him. And so this morning, although we're going to be in Matthew 4, which has to do with temptation, it's a very uncomfortable word. Uh, I, luckily, I pulled this card. I was like, oh, I'm Matthew 4. I got this. Temptation. Good. All right. We're going to discover how actually temptation has everything to do with our identity, who we are. How we respond to temptation has everything to do with who we are. And so as we dig into this topic of temptation and this text, I want to make sure that we're all on the same page. We need to all be starting from the same place. Okay, and so to do that, there are a few things that we need to understand. Um, first and foremost, number one is this: there is a spiritual world. There is a supernatural world that we cannot see with our own eyes. It is composed of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. Okay, and and, and within this spiritual world, there are spiritual forces at constant work all the time, all around us, all the time. Right, and so. If you are one to say, I only believe what I can see with my own two eyes, I'm just going to be the first to say, you are deceived. Because there is a spiritual realm, and it is real, and it is hustling and bustling with activity all of the time. Now, these spiritual forces, they're at war with one another, okay? And, and, and there's a real battle that is actually happening right now, right even here in this place. There's a spiritual battle that is constantly happening between the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Satan, angels and demons strategically working against each other. And we are caught up in this war between these two kingdoms. And, and if you call yourself a, a, call yourself a disciple of Christ, you are a target for the enemy who wants nothing less than to destroy you. Not just destroy you, he wants to obliterate you. And take away, take you away from your creator who would do anything to keep you. And so this battle has been going on since the beginning of time. And we need to understand that, that the enemy that we are facing, he's not some rookie, he's not some noob at, at, at spiritual warfare. Rather, he is an enemy that has perfected his attacks over the course of all of history. And that he is strategically and meticulously carrying out his assaults in any way to attempt to disqualify you in any way that he can with whatever means he can. We need to understand that in reality, temptation is a uniquely created formula designed for every part of your life. And yet, it's not just you and me. It's not just my response to temptation and your response to temptation. There is a global and cosmic strategy as well. Uh, there is a bigger picture than just my bubble and my response. Ultimately, the plan isn't just to destroy and disqualify me. It's to disqualify and discredit God. And so 
understanding that, thinking about all of that, what we just talked about, it's a little bit heavy, right? And so our understanding of that, uh, our, we might respond in a very fearful response or a very hopeless response. Man, this enemy is going to stop at nothing to get me, to destroy me, right? And we don't want to go all the way over there either and respond fearfully or hopelessly because that actually ends up turning into legalism and spiritual abuse. Operating out of fear is just as crippling or even more crippling than falling into the actual temptation. Seeing the devil behind every bush. It's always the devil. It's always the enemy. You know, like we, we can't go there either. Yet, yes, there is an enemy who will stop at nothing to destroy me, but there's also a God who will stop at nothing to save me. Okay, so, and the good part about this, we already know the end of this story. We already know what happens in the end. We are on the winning side. And the enemy knows that. So now the reason I want to point all of this out, we need to understand that temptation is not some quick passing thought or some spontaneous silly idea, right? It is so much more serious than that. It, it is an all-out assault on your identity. Temptation is an assault on your identity, who you are. It's an assault on who you, who you were created to be. And so it is an assault on who God designed you to be. And, and when we see that for what it is, when we see temptation for what it is, we might be more aware that it isn't just that extra glance. It isn't just a little white lie. It isn't just fudging the numbers somewhere or some harmless gossip. It is designed to rename you from being a child of God to being an adulterer, a liar, a cheater, a gossip. And today, we're actually going to see this played out in Matthew 4 when Jesus is tempted by Satan just before his ministry begins. And, and so let's go to our text today. If you are already there, kudos to you. You get a gold star. That's awesome. We're going to be in and out of this text. So hold your thumb there, your finger there, whatever, because we're going to be kind of back and forth. Uh, and we're going to be in Matthew 4 today. This is actually starting in verse 1. This is what the scripture says in Matthew 4, verse 1. It says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Let's backtrack just for a second. We, we need to understand something. In chapter 3, we, we came from there last week, and so I just kind of want to review a little bit uh, what happened because it's really important because the verse 1 actually starts with this word, Then. Then, okay? And so when we see the word then, it means that something happened just before this, and that something is actually very important. So to review, in chapter 3, Matthew ends with Jesus getting baptized by John the Baptist. What a cool nickname, the Baptist, right? The Baptist, all right. So what happens? All right, we're in chapter 3. I think we have it up here, okay? This is what happens. Heaven opens up. The Spirit of God descends on Jesus like a dove. He becomes really shiny, and a voice from heaven says, What? He says, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. I want you to remember that God just told everybody, the whole world, everybody, he told everybody that was standing there, everybody, he says, this is my son. I love him and I'm pleased with him. Let's, let's hold on to that for a second because we're going we're gonna to use that for the rest of the morning. God told everyone, this is my son, Jesus. Let's travel back to chapter 4. Right after all this happened, Jesus is led 
to the wilderness by the Holy Spirit for a specific purpose. What is that purpose? To be tempted. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So wait a minute. The Holy Spirit just led Jesus into temptation? Not exactly. Let's clear this up real fast. The word that is used here is actually tempted, which when we, we look, we, can, we see the translation in the original text, it can actually be swapped for the word tested in the original translation. And so this tempting is actually a testing. And so the question then becomes, what is it that Jesus is being tested for? And that answer is just two verses away when the devil says this. He says, if you are the son of God, this is a test of identity. If you are the son of God. Crazy, right? So didn't God just say with a loud voice from heaven, Jesus was all shiny, he said, this is my son. So now Jesus is being tested to see if he remembers who he is. And not under the easiest circumstances. It's actually very difficult circumstances because we're, we're told that he fasted for 40 days. And Matthew kind of clues us in. If we couldn't figure this out already, he fasted for 40 days, no food. Matthew says he was hungry. Really, Matthew? Okay, Jesus is hungry after eating, not eating for 40 days. I would have never guessed. But that little nugget is so valuable. It's so important that Jesus was hungry because we believe that Jesus was fully God and fully man at the same time. Fully God and fully man. And so we see Jesus fully man, fully human. He's hungry, and yet he's fully God because he has this full knowledge of who he is. So it's like this extreme challenge situation. Even under the extreme circumstances, Jesus did not waver about his identity. And so he was led by the Spirit, into the wilderness for 40 days with no food. I don't know if you're going to find this next part interesting. I thought it was fantastic, and I just wanted to point all of these out because there's two similarities from stories in the Old Testament where these specific situations of Jesus being tempted and these stories are like parallel with each other, okay? The first is this. Jesus is referred to as the new Adam, all right? And this is why. Um, you might know the story of Adam and Eve. Uh, just a refresh, if you want to go to Genesis 3, you can kind of refresh yourself a little bit. Okay, Adam and Eve are tempted. They're in the Garden of Eden, and they, they, they commit the first sin by eating a fruit from a tree that they were told not to eat, okay, and they're kicked out of the Garden of Eden. They're separated from God. And so kind of uh, uh, some, some details about that. In Genesis 3, um, Adam is tempted with a food item, a fruit, okay, to eat, and what was he told? Him and Eve were told by Satan, did God really say, don't eat this fruit? And we see Satan questioning God's words right away. Adam and Eve, they gave in to the temptation. They commit the first sin, and they're separated from God, right? And then thousands of years pass by, and Jesus shows up, and he is tempted by food. This time it's bread, and what does Satan say? He says, are you who God said you are? If you are the Son of God, if you are who God says you are, questioning God's words again. So check this out. Here's the second thing. Jesus doesn't take the bait. Um, here's the second thing that I thought was really cool, and this, we're going to dig through this for the rest of our morning together. Jesus, it has to do with Jesus' response to the temptations. Okay? Um, check this out. In the book of Deuteronomy, 
Old Testament, okay? Deuteronomy of your Bible, if you want to turn back there, we're going to be in Deuteronomy 8 in just a second, okay? We are given this history lesson, uh, a recounting of God's provision for the nation of Israel, specifically concerning the Israelites after they have crossed the Red Sea, okay? They've escaped from captivity from Pharaoh and Egypt, and so in Deuteronomy chapter 6 through 8, um, they are reminded to be obedient to God, to remember what God has done. Don't forget God's provision. Don't forget what he has done. Be obedient to God. Serve God and worship God only. And remember all that he has done for us. And I want to zero in on just a couple of verses because I think it encapsulates uh, what we're going to talk about today. This is actually found in Deuteronomy 8. This is verse 2 through 3. The writer says this, says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way out of the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Remember who you are, and remember who God is who led you through the wilderness for what, 40 years? To test you whether you would be obedient to the calling that he has placed on the, that nation. You were hungry, and then God gave you manna, which is a form of bread. What's the temptation that Satan brings to Jesus? Turn these stones into bread. Jesus has been in the wilderness for 40 days to be tested. He is hungry, and Satan tempts him with bread. And Jesus responds in Matthew 4, 4. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Where did we hear that before? In Deuteronomy. It's kind of cool. It's pretty amazing if you ask me how the scriptures just kind of line up together. Jesus is showing that although the nation of Israel is not very good at remembering their identity and where they came from, Jesus is very aware of who he is and who is providing for him and what his mission is, thus again, fulfilling scripture. And so this is the first temptation. This is the first thing. Jesus is tempted to provide for himself comfort. He is tempted with this self-gratification apart from God's will. A self-gratification apart from God's will. Let's look at that a little bit deeper. Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit, right? He's led by the Spirit. And so his focus is on God the Father. His focus is on the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, right? And his mission is laid out before him, and he sees that, and he's fully God, and he's fully man. Now, now it's mission critical that the, the human side of Jesus be in 100% alignment with the God side of Jesus. Those two things have to be perfectly in alignment, Right? And so there has to be this 100% trust in God to provide his every need. And if Jesus was intended to eat at that moment, God would have provided something for him to eat in that moment, just like he did with the nation of Israel and the manna. So the temptation wasn't just a simple satisfying of his hunger. The temptation was to walk away from the leading of the Holy Spirit and make himself comfortable outside of God's plan. And this would have negated his trust for God to provide for his human side. The writer of Hebrews says this and expresses this, and I, I don't know if you've heard this verse before. We read it a lot. Um, it says this uh, in, in Hebrews four fourteen through 15. It says this, Therefore, 
Since we have a high priest who is ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to emphasize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Walking out of God's plans in that moment and turning the stones to bread would have, would have negated this scripture, and it would have negated our goal to be Christ-like in our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. The temptation of self-gratification. To make myself comfortable apart from the will of God. It is the temptation to not trust God for everything. It is the temptation of surrounding myself with a life of comfort. Of believing that I deserve this because I work hard. It's it's not just about money or things. It's about our relationships. It's about our experiences. It's about our greed and gluttony. And it's about idolatry. It's about self-centered behaviors. Ultimately, it is about entitlement. I deserve because I work hard. And it's taking this focus off of God and placing it onto ourselves, whether it be the food we eat, the money we have, the things we own, our marriage, our sex lives, whatever that is, the moment that we take our focus off of God and place it on ourselves, we are setting ourselves up for a huge failure. And we begin to look around and see all the things we want, but we don't have. Our focus is no longer on God, it's on the things we don't have. And we begin to see all the things that that other people have, we compare our lives to other people and their lives And we let our selfish desires outweigh our desire to follow Christ. And our relationship with God then takes this backseat, making our lives, we want to make our lives easier. We begin to justify our behavior based on how I'm feeling instead of being obedient to the word of God and what he has provided we don't have to look very far in our culture, church, to see that this is our culture. That we are more concerned about doing what feels good, doing what makes me happy in the moment than anything else. We have no regard for how it affects other people, much less how it affects God and our relationship with God. And, and this isn't just the unchurched. This is, this is within the church walls, too. It affects the way we interact with one another. It, it affects the way that we worship. The way that we come here and glorify God and sing praises to his name, right? It affects that as well. Churches in our country are more divided than ever. And and sadly, the church is not known for its love for one another. We're known for our judgmental outlook on everyone. And, And honestly, like, this is a terrible statement, but we're one of the only religions that devour our wounded. And when people are looking for a church, Christians tend to see, like, they'll find a church that, what can this church do for me, rather than where I can serve the body of Christ. And there is an issue that we have had over the past few decades that has just become prevalent in the church, where churches have to focus more on entertaining their congregations than teaching truth and focusing on true worship. We were never told to make ourselves comfortable before we were obedient to God. That's not what we were told. We were told to worship God with all of our hearts, everything that's in you, worship God. 
and love others as you love yourself. When Jesus quotes this passage from Deuteronomy, he is saying that my obedience to God is more precious to me than eating food. It is more valuable to me than breathing air, than drinking water, than having a roof over my head or any other basic need in my life. My obedience to God is more valuable to me than my own comfort, than my own life. Why? Because God's words are truth and that is how you respond to temptation is with truth. Then the devil took him up in verse 5. It says, The devil took him up to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Satan takes Jesus to the highest point, to the pinnacle of the temple. The temple's where everybody went to meet with God, to worship God. And so it was the center of everything in that, in that city. And so this is where they thought, if God was going to do something miraculous, this is where it's going to happen, right? And so the temptation then is for Jesus to parkour his way off the top of the temple, right? And showing everyone that, look at me, I am the Son of God. Did you notice that, that Satan tries to question Jesus' identity once again? Not because Satan doubted who Jesus was. He knew full well who Jesus is, but maybe to sway Jesus that he might doubt who he was. If you are the Son of God, if you are who God says you are, then no harm will come your way. And he uses scripture to do it. This is actually found in Psalm 91. Uh, Psalm 91, that's like a little quote from Psalm 91, right? Satan uses scripture directly out of the, the scripture that Jesus knows, that everybody knows, that we've all been studying, right? And so Psalm 91 is taken completely out of context and manipulated to gain control of God using his own words. If you think that Satan doesn't know how to use and manipulate the word of God, you are mistaken. Just because someone throws a verse at you to prove their point does not make them correct. This was an attempt to gain control over God using God's words. Do you know what we call that behavior? Gaslighting. Right? It's a technique perfected by the narcissist. The, the, the temptation here is for Christ to once again step out of the authority of God, the Father, and, and make things happen on his own terms rather than relying and trusting in God's plan. Do you know what this would have done? This would have bypassed the cross. The very thing that Christ came to do, to be born to live as a man, to die on the cross, becoming our ultimate sacrifice for our sins, the savior of the world. The temptation here is a very strategic play to gain the control, the upper hand in, in, in Jesus and what he came to do. And so it, it calls into question whether God really says who he is and if he's true about that and, and, and it's calling into question whether God will provide like he said he would provide. So I want to put these two temptations together. So what do we have so far? We have this temptation to make ourselves comfortable outside of God's plan, which creates this desire to acquire anything that makes me feel good, right? 
none of which satisfies. It's this endless loop that just goes on and on and on. We look for things around us and and we see all the things that we don't have and so we start to acquire things, making ourselves more comfortable and then we can't afford something or we can't get something and we we wonder, why don't I have that, God? We look to God and say, didn't you say you were going to provide? And why do I not feel provided for right now? Why do I not feel like I have what I want? If you love me, wouldn't you give me what I want? We begin to question whether God is actually for us. And we begin to test his faithfulness through this dirty lens, through this self-focused lens. And we make these demands on God and say, if you were really for me, I wouldn't be in this situation. So we can, we can very easily come to this conclusion that maybe God isn't really almighty, And he can't provide for me, or maybe that he's holding things back from me. Maybe he's withholding from me right now. And now I am left to take care of things my way because I don't trust God's way. I then step out of God's plan and bypass God's plan for me, and I make things happen for me on my own instead of waiting on God. It's a slippery slope. That's those two temptations together. But Jesus confronts this temptation with truth because that's how we respond to a lie is with truth. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And where do you think this truth is pulled from? It's in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6, referring back to the nation of Israel, right? Back to the the faithfulness of God in their time of testing 40 years in the wilderness. So cool, right? Jesus, well played, well played. In other words, he's saying don't force God's hand to prove that he loves you and that he cares for you. Don't try to manipulate God into doing something for you just because you have trust issues birthed out of your inability to focus on God. The third temptation goes like this. This is actually found in verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. And showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him and the angels came and attended to him. The first two times Satan uses this word, if. If you are the son of God if you are who God says you are, to kind of question the identity of Jesus. The third time, he just bypasses it altogether. He just disregards Jesus' identity completely. Um, Because if Jesus is God, if that is true, what need does Jesus need to worship any other being to acquire anything? All the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And so the authority that Satan presumes is false. He is offering something that ultimately doesn't belong to him. And the third temptation is this, of self-exaltation. It's this self-exaltation, replacing God with yourself. For Jesus, this really doesn't even make sense at all, okay? Because he would have to abandon his place as, as the triune God, the Holy Trinity, to be exalted above God the Father, above the Holy Spirit, and he would be replacing himself with himself, doesn't make sense. Scripture tells us that one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And so Satan is trying to once again force Jesus to abandon God's plan by taking this shortcut 
to the glory that was already guaranteed to Jesus in the first place. Bypassing God, bypassing the plan, bypassing the cross, and thus shortchanging all of humanity to an eternity in hell. So at this point, Jesus grows weary of the temptations, right? He's like, all right, I'm done. He commands Satan to leave. And Satan, who is subject to the authority of Jesus Christ, has to leave. Kind of cool, right? And so the angels minister and attend to Jesus in this moment. The testing is over. The temptations are over. The testing is over. Jesus is who God said he is. My question comes from this. Why did he allow the second and third temptation? Why, why would you put up with such an annoying pestilence, right? Why did Jesus allow temptation number two and temptation number three? And, and this is what I came up with as I was just thinking through this. And I don't claim to know everything. But we, early we read this passage in Hebrews that, that Jesus is someone who can empathize with us because he has been tempted in every single way that we have been tempted, Right? And so if that's true, I put all of these three temptations together and this is what happens. It reveals this strategy by the enemy. This crazy strategy. The temptation starts when we lose focus on God and his plan for our lives, right? Oh look, something shiny. And it draws our attention away from what God has called us to do and to be. And so we start looking at around at all the things we don't have, whether it's our job, whether it's our finances, whether it's our relationships, our leisure time, our sex lives, whatever it is, we see what we don't have. And instead of looking to God to provide, we grow dissatisfied in our comfort. And we begin to question if God really cares about us. Because if he did, wouldn't he just give us what we want? We forget that he loves us. We forget that he already gave us everything we need, that he has already provided. We forget that, that only he can satisfy our souls and our longings and our desires that he placed in us. Because our focus has shifted from God to ourselves. It's all about us. And so ultimately, our trust in God and his plan diminishes to the point where we replace God with ourselves. We become the God of our own lives. Instead of waiting on God, we are going to make happen what we think should happen. And we will lie. We will steal. We will cheat. We will manipulate any way that we can to keep the ship steering in the direction that we want the ship steered. And before you know it, our lives are shipwrecked. Our families are destroyed. And we're left in this after, aftermath of pursuing a life that's all about me. That's the temptation. That's what it is. That's the strategy. It's small. You see this thing I don't have. You want that thing. And there's the temptation. And it starts this whole process. It grows and it leads to destruction. We have an enemy who would love nothing more than to see you and your life in utter destruction. To see you disqualified. To see you forget who you are and what you were created 
to do. The response of the third temptation was taken right out of Deuteronomy once again. It's reminding the nation of Israel, don't get distracted by all the other gods, all the other false idols, all of the other shiny things out there. Don't be distracted. Don't lose your focus on the one true God, the God who is faithful to you, the God who, who led you out of captivity, the God who has set you free. Don't lose your focus. And the response is a call to worship. The response is to worship God, to serve God and God alone. So don't let your vision be swayed by what feels good in the moment. Don't let your, your, your calling be robbed away by, by what is easy. Worship God. That, 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 the, the response is to worship because that's who you are and that's what you were created to do. You are a worshiper. And you were created to worship. And you were created to worship God and God alone. The enemy is doing everything in his power, everything to discredit you so that, you can, so that he can discredit God. That's the point. He will do everything he can to make it look like God is a liar. He will try to convince you that the world uh, and the world that, 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 that you are not who God says you are. And he will lie and he will manipulate and he will gaslight you into thinking that you are not good enough and that God really doesn't care about you because you're a liar. You're a cheater, you're a gossiper, you're an addict, you're promiscuous, you're a drunk, whatever it is that he wants to rebrand you with, that he wants to rename you with, that fake name that he places on you. That's not who you are. That's not who you are. That is not who God says you are. Giving into temptation, even when we stumble and fall, giving into those temptations, it still doesn't change your identity. It actually establishes your identity because it reveals our need to be drenched in God's grace and his mercy over and over and over every moment of our lives. Your identity is not dictated by your mistakes. Your identity is the child of God, son or daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Your identity is found in God and found in God alone. There's a reason that Jesus used scriptures. We've already said this several times, but I want you guys to understand it, so I'm going to say it again. There's a reason that Jesus used scripture to respond to Satan and his temptation. Scripture is truth because it is the word of God, and the way that you battle a lie is with truth. So you battle temptation with the word of God. I want to read to you guys James 4. James 4 says this in verse 7 through 10. We're going to break this down for a second. James 4 says, uh, submit yourselves then to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit yourself to God. Submit yourself to his commands. Be obedient to his words. It says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. He might come back over and over and over again, but you have the exact same authority that Jesus Christ had when he resisted Satan because Jesus Christ lives in you and you have his authority in your life. And it says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Draw near to God. Resist the devil and draw near to God. Those two things come hand in hand. Draw near to God and he's going to draw near to you. He's not going to abandon you. He's not going to leave you. I want you guys this week sometime, if you have a chance and you want to write this down, Psalm 119. 
Psalm 119, King David uh, begins to write about how he wants to seek God with all of his heart. And he says this, I'm just going to kind of paraphrase some things really quick in Psalm 119. He says, do not let me stray far from your commands, God. He says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you because your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Church, hide God's words in your heart. Meditate on them. Memorize them. uh, Live them out. Study them so that when the enemy comes and tempts you, you will be able to discern what is of myself, what is of the enemy, and what is of God. You will be able to discern what is truth and what is not if you have God's words hidden in your heart. Church, the situation is that we have all sinned. Every single one of us in this room have fallen short of the glory of God. We have given into temptation. And so the enemy is cunning and he is strategic and we have all fallen victim to his deceptions, right? And I, I feel like as I was preparing for this, this word this morning in our discussion today, I, I felt like God is working on, on two heart issues. And I wanted to speak these things out because I wanted to respond to these two things this morning. Um, I, I, I believe that the word of God does not go void. And so when we speak the word of God to each other and we're speaking back and forth to each other, that it doesn't go void, that we do something. We respond with that, right? There's an action. When we hear God's word, we, we act on that. And so here's my challenge, okay, this morning. The first thing that I felt like God was speaking is, is something we've already been digging into. We've already been talking about, okay? It's, it's this, this, this trap of taking control of our lives. Uh, we, we've, we've maybe lost our trust in God, and we've, we've, we've come to this place where I've taken the wheel of my own life. I've taken the control. I'm steering the ship so that I will be comfortable, okay? And, and that, that might look like I'm not seeking God concerning my career. That might look like I, I, I have a pornography addiction or, or that, that I might not be submitting to God in my finances. Maybe that I'm addicted to something else. That might look like I'm choosing inappropriate relationships and, not, not, and friendships that maybe are pulling me away from God. That might look like I'm not prioritizing my time so that God is first in my life. I don't know what that is in your life this morning, but I'm positive that the Holy Spirit's already been speaking to you about that and revealing that. Here's my, here's my, 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 my challenge to respond is that this morning, the response is this call to worship. Spend time worshiping. Spend time focusing on who God is and what he has done for you. Put that into your life right now. Right now. Put that into your life this week. Schedule it in. Make sure that you are spending time with the Lord and focusing on him first. The second thing that I felt like God was speaking to this morning, it's a little more complicated. I feel like there are some here this morning that you have been given that nickname by the enemy based on a mistake that you have made based on a temptation that maybe you gave into. Um, uh, it, it may be something that nobody else knows in this room except for you and the Lord. And you have been doing everything, battling and battling and battling to escape that identity in your life. And maybe, maybe you've just forced yourself to live with it. This is my life now. This is my struggle until I die. 
And that could be an addiction, it could be a mistake that you've made, it could be something that you have huge consequences that you're walking through today and you're continually walking through. Church, consequences are real and we still have to walk through them, but your consequences and the things that you work through in your life, they don't define who you are. This morning, as we wrap up this morning, I, I just I wanted to speak truth over us as a church. I want to uh, speak God's word over what he thinks of us because I think that's what, that's what we have to remind ourselves over and over and over. What has God said about who you are? Who does he think you are? Who does he say that you are? Our response to the enemy, attacking our identity and attempting to discredit us is to speak truth, right? So can we do that this morning? Can we all stand as as we wrap up this morning? I want to show you what God thinks about you. Throughout Scripture, God is not, does not hide his affections for us, who he thinks we are, who he has created us to be. And so I just want to run through some Scriptures of just who God has created you to be. Can we turn the lights down? Romans 15 says that you are accepted. John 15 says that you have been chosen. Galatians 4, Paul says that we are free. We have been set free in Christ. 1 John 1 says that you are forgiven. And because of that, he says it again in chapter 5, that God listens to you. In Corinthians, it says that you belong to Jesus. You are a part of something so very important and that the Holy Spirit lives within you. Scripture tells us that we are a new person. You are a child of God. Genesis 1 says that you are made in the image of God and Jesus offers you a new life as a citizen of heaven. You are protected by God and God is with you and God loves you no matter what is what Paul says in Romans. King David actually reminds us that that we are God's special creation in Psalm 119. God is taking care of you in Psalm 23 and that God understands you in Psalm 139. The prophet Isaiah says that you are precious to God. You are rescued. God has a plan for your life and God gives you strength to accomplish that plan. Paul says in Romans that you are an heir And that God gives you strength, that you are saved. He also mentions that you are a part of God's family. And you are blessed. And Jesus gave himself for you. And you are now made complete in Christ. Exodus 19 says this, that you are treasured by God. That's just a sprinkling of what God thinks about you. That's just a little bit. You are valued. You are a son. You are a daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
and our response to everything that we've heard today is to worship God. Serve Him. Honor Him. Submit to Him. Can we just pray and invite our prayer teams to come up? God, we thank you so much for this day. I thank you for your love for us, your mercy for us, your grace for us. Lord, I thank you that you allowed yourself to go through this testing to show us who you are, to show us who we are. God, we thank you for your love and acceptance, for your adoption. God, we thank you and we praise you. Lord, I pray that you would continue to turn our hearts to you, focus us on you, focus our hearts on on who you are, what you've done for us. Let us remember that. Let us be focused on you, Father God, that we won't be distracted, that we won't lose focus on who you are, God. We thank you and we praise you with everything that's inside of us. We bless your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. If you need prayer this morning, if one of those things that we spoke about this morning just really God is speaking to you and just ministering to you, please feel free to come and get prayer this morning. Otherwise, you guys have a wonderful week. And we'll continue. We'll see you guys again next week. If you want to converse and have fun and, and talk with the other, if you guys could do that out in the lobby and just leave this place for a time of ministry uh, for the Lord to, to work. We, we praise his name. In Jesus' name, amen. Be released. I hope you enjoyed our podcast today. If you did, there's two things you could do for me. First, subscribe to our channel. That way, the most recent podcast will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And secondly, if this ministry has impacted you, Would you help us to continue to reach others by clicking on the link in the description to give 